Find the answers to questions you may or may not have asked yourself here at Kaleidoscience, Conversations on Cognitive Science, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw. We were at a special event, which was the Coxie Space Day. There we had the chance to talk to a great variety of different people and talk about their fields of interest. May they be students or professors. We talked about various aspects of cognitive science, such as neuroscience, linguistics, philosophy or artificial intelligence, and many more. All the interviews were kept rather short, and another exception of our bonus episodes will be that not only Zünke and me are hosting, but also our two amazing producers Alina and Sophie, and both will jump into this role of being an interviewer. So stay curious and tune in. Okay, we are here with Tracy Sanchez-Pancheco. Um, she's a PhD student with the Neuroinformatics Group at the Institute of Science in Osnabrück. Um, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Um, in the beginning, we always ask one sentence to our guests to complete. And that sentence is, as a kid, I always wanted to be. As a kid, I always wanted to be a microbiologist. Interesting. That's a weird one, isn't it? <laughs> I was a weird child. I was fascinated by the idea of being able to see things that existed that you couldn't see with your bare eyes. And oddly enough, I think that joins what I do now which, what, with what I wanted then, because now we're able to measure and work and design for things that you cannot see with your bare eyes. That's very specific for a child. <laughs> I As I said, I was a really weird child. <laughs> no, when I was eight or so, I heard about the dolly cheap, you know, about yeah. the starting of DNA and clones and this stuff. And I asked my mom, who is not an academically minded person, um, what, who does that? And she was like, I think microbiologists do that. <laughs> I was like, I guess I'll be that. And then I looked into a, a microscope for the first time. I don't know if you have ever seen blood on a microscope. It sounds disgusting, but it is beautiful. It's like art. And the fact that you can infer things about a human body from that was just fascinating for me. But then after doing the first uh, round of medicine training back home, I am from Costa Rica. So back there, if you're in the medical science, you all take like anatomy 101 and calculus for medical sciences and so on and so forth. So after completing that, I was like, I think this is not exactly it. <laughs> and I found psychology. And after psychology, I found cognitive science. That's, that's so fascinating to have such a diverse background. Um, how would you explain your research or your field of interest to someone if they would be like 10 years old? I would say that I want to know how people think and why people think. That's the easiest way I can put it. I want to better understand how people can see information and make sense of that information. And what can make that be a completely different picture. That's what I like about cognition, that you can see the world from angles such that the model that you thought you had in your head is completely different if you just add one extra variable. That's so cool. <laughs> uh, maybe then also say to us who study cognitive mm -hmm. science, um, what is your research field? Gladly, gladly. Well, I would say that currently I'm trying to see social facilitation inside of spatial navigation. So I first trained, as I said, as a psychologist. And then back home, when I was doing cognitive science, I was doing a lot of stereotype research and like social construct research, which um, 
then when I came here and started working with Gordon and Professor Koenig, um, became spatial navigation. And I had a, a small bit prepared for this. I'm hoping you will join me in this thought experiment. I would like for you to close your eyes for a moment and to imagine that the consciousness is gone and everything is completely dark. And then you start gaining consciousness back in and the question rises, where am I? That is how stable uh, spatial navigation and spatial knowledge is for us. By doing that, I realize how it feels when you're rebooting your system from the back up. One of the most important questions that you ask yourself is where the hell am I? And how we evolve as a species to be so precise with what are spatial relations, what are 3D modeling of the world, where can I find my resources? Um, that is all really interesting. I think that up to now, we're in a specially prolific time to study that because now we have VR. And inside of virtual reality, we get to control the world, meaning that we get to control the colors that are around, the angles of the houses, how they're facing to one another. And we get to keep the spatial uh, relations of real world scale scenarios, which was what we were missing before. When we're studying spatial navigation in humans, we have a lot of constraints. Mainly being that I cannot control how many times you have been in this city, or if it rains, or if in that moment a big ambulance goes by, you know? So in real world, I miss all of that. And in lab scenarios, what it was done is that we descale them, you know? We help you learn something in 2D, be that a map, or a lot of it was done with retrospective research, there's many famous studies on taxi drivers and how different they saw the cities compared to normal citizens. And um, I'll try to make this short then. Uh, the point being is that with virtual reality, you get both. You, I get to control everything and I get to keep the real scale of the world. And that's what I'm doing right now. That's something. I was about to ask whether you are working with VR, but you yes. asked the question already. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, that sounds fascinating. Um, I think you already um, answered how you got here, more or less. Um, but uh, again, say from what you just said, um, I think like it is very um, typical cognitive science what you're doing somehow <laughs> because uh, yeah. Yeah, you, you said you had an interest in psychology and uh, all these fields, but now here they come together as... Um, uh, yeah, you, you can use like virtual reality because there's also like a informatics background in cognitive science. Is that maybe the reason you ended up here? I think yes, definitely. Um, and also because before that, uh, actually Gordon Pippa went to Costa Rica to a congress and there we got to meet and then we got to discuss possibilities and from that it came that virtual reality will be a cool tool to use in this research area. There's many cool things one can do, you know. Also, when you think about human perception, I could take the same um, 3D structure of, of a human that I have and change just the one thing about it. So just the distance of the eyes or change just the color of the skin or make the hair longer and see how that makes people go farther or closer away from them, how it makes them to stay longer next to them or not. Yeah, it's it's... Perfection in the sense that you get to try all of these things that ethically will not be possible sometimes. <laughs> But in VR, it, somehow it opens this door. 
yeah, I mean, that uh, already sounds like there are some discoveries you made um, and that are really recent, but are there in the field that you study um, mm -hmm. maybe in the past few years um, some major breakthroughs that were really significant to you and that you can maybe recount now? Yes, um, there is in 2019, I mean, if, if I were to go from the beginning for spatial navigation, 2014, the Nobel Prize on Medicine, the O'Keefe's, uh, the, the Moises and O'Keefe won together the Nobel Prize for the grid-like in hippocampus for spatial navigation in animals. And that was awesome because then we got to see exactly how these patterns are made, what are the synchronies that we were seeing. We got to infer a lot of things physically from the physiological level. Then um, on the human-like spectrum, I would say what comes to mind is that between 2018 and 2020, a lot of papers came out saying like, listen, up to now, a lot maybe it's an ex exaggeration. I have two specific in mind that I can send you and we can link. Um, we have been doing spatial navigation and somehow ignoring social cognition inside of there. What's up with that? And really, what's up with that? <laughs> because in my mind, in my, in my view of things, these two abilities co-evolved, you know? In our species, the ones that survive were the ones that could get around and could collaborate with each other. I also think that when we move, I, not only I, there's many research done on how crowds move. There's some that are described like gas-like, you know, when you have a, a really flow of people, they move like gas particles. In physics, there's an area of people that work with this. I can also send that um, paper around. Please. So we already know, we modelate how we move, where we're going. We know that when freely viewing a scene, we go first to the faces. It makes all the sense in the universe that when you're forming your mental representation of a space, you don't ignore the other humans in there. Now the question is what they do. Do they help you learn or do they take the attention away from what you're supposed to learn? And that's what I'm working on right now. Interesting. The last I'm, question. I'm just amazed. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have one more question for okay. you and that is, um, is there any scientist in your field or outside of it, dead or alive, that you would just like to sit down with, have a chat over a tea? Yes, yeah, so many. <laughs> This is not she's not in my field. She recently passed away, but I would have loved to have a coffee with Rita Levi Montalcini. She's an Italian biologist that also had a Nobel Prize, and she was just the epitome of strength and just knowledge and resilience. She was wonderful. And currently, um, I guess that. Yeah, many of them, just Gordon or Professor Koenig, you know, every time I get to sit and have lunch with them, once I witnessed them talking about geometry and how the ratio of the surface of a sphere and the volume of the sphere, stuff like this, just like math-related stuff, and they were mapping analysis onto three-world geometry and just hearing them talk, it's like, I wish I could understand everything <laughs> they're saying. It's just fascinating, yeah. yeah. Uh, we had Kyle Kuhnberger here just before, and he said, like, scientists, they are a special kind of people. And I think that's very, very correct. Definitely. Yes. But it's so, so interesting. Also, listening to you talk, um, you can feel the, your enthusiasm for your field. And that's very lovely and very infectious as well. Thank you. Yes, I, I do still. I feel so lucky and so privileged that we get to just sit down and ask questions and try to come up with answers. That's what we do. 
Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Thank you very much My for pleasure. this short conversation. My pleasure. I hope all of, any of these was useful. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was good. Really good. Yeah. good. Nice. When you enjoy listening to us, the best way to support us is by following us on your chosen podcast app. This could either be Google Podcast, Spotify or Apple Podcast. Another good way to support us is by following our Instagram account, which is called kaleidoscience underscore pod. On our Instagram account, you will also get regular information on the next episode. Thanks a lot for supporting us. This was Kaleidoscience, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw. Produced by Elina Ohnesorge, Elisa Palmer, Sönke Löw and Sophie Kühne. Produced in collaboration with the Cognitive Science Student Journal. The music was produced by Jan Lukas Schröder. The logo was designed by Annika Richter. Thank you for listening and joining us on our journey through conversations on cognitive science.